It's a joy to be here again with John Lockley, joining us from South Africa. Um, John is a traditional South African shaman, and he was with us earlier in the year. I highly encourage you to go and listen to that, where we got more of a background um, of his experience and He is the author of an amazing book called The Leopard Warrior, which I highly, highly recommend you check out. It's um, it's his story about um, his time and realizing that he had this calling to become a Sangoma and a, a traditional South African healer and his apprenticeship under a traditional medicine woman. Um, and it's all under the canopy of apartheid, coming out of apartheid in South Africa. Um, and it's a, a just a beautiful, it's beautifully written. It's engaging. It's, um, it's unputdownable. Is that a word? I'm going to say that that's a word. <laughs> and, um, and it's mystical. I mean, there's so much in there by way of um, just drawing you into his world of spirit, but it connects you with your own spirit. At least that has been my experience. And um, so it's a joy to be with him. And last time we talked, he was about to embark on a retreat to the, or he was going to be leading this retreat in the Kalahari Desert. And so I wanted to check in with him since that finished. That was a quite a long retreat. Um, and it sounds like he had some incredible experiences um, in nature, with nature. And so let's start there. Welcome back. Such a joy to see you. And um, Hi, so tell us, tell us about your retreat, your experiences in the desert. Yes. So for a while now, I've been feeling about taking groups into, into Africa, into South Africa, into the wilderness and teaching them some indigenous African skills to, to help them with their lives. So it's been a dream of mine to do this. And then I had this incredible experience of, of meeting um, a tracker called Alwyn, Alwyn Myberg, and he runs this company called Matsebe Safaris. And Matsebe is named after a leopard. And it's quite incredible because if you remember how I finished writing my book, I was following, um, I was following a leopard into the bush. That's how I finished writing the book. Mm. And then I prayed and I prayed to nature and I prayed to my guides and I asked that I would be able to do this wilderness work in a raw setting in Africa. And then the most incredible thing happened to me because, um, a friend of mine put me in touch with Arwen and he said, I need you to go to Botswana and, and that's where I should do my wilderness work. And I, you know, it's very difficult to just go into the wilderness. Um, you need to have all the equipment. You need to have a safari company. You need to be registered. And I come from another part of Africa and South Africa is, is quite far from Botswana, even though, you know, we're on the border, but where I'm living is, is quite far from Botswana. So, my friend said to me, I need to get in touch with, with Alan. So we got in touch and I spoke to him. I told him about my dream of bringing people into the, into the bush, into the African plains. Mm. And then he said, okay, he'll think about it. And then Alan had this most incredible experience with, with the leopard that he's been working with for the last 10 years. And that leopard is the main totem of his company. And they called that leopard Matsebe. And one day he was tracking Watsebe in, in, the, in the desert and he came across her and he's an animal communication specialist, Owen. So he started speaking to, to Matsebe, who, like I say, he'd had a relationship with for, for many years. And he told her about me and he told her about the work that we were doing or planning to do. And then he waited for a sign from her and then he just got the response where she said that, um, he needed to invite me to Botswana to work with him. And, and because she wanted to download information to me. So if you meet Owen, you will see that he's, he's not a hippie. Mm -hmm. He's a, he's a man of Africa, grassroots tracker. He was brought up by a, a Bushman lady 
who was his nanny. And um, so he's, he's the opposite of a hippie. So when you hear him say, there's this leopard who wants to download information to me, um, it was quite an incredible thing. So what happened with Awan, he had this incredible experience with Matseba where she said that, that he needed to invite me to Botswana to work with him. And, um, and then he contacted me on WhatsApp. And at that time, I was, I was still in a book tour and I was actually in Canada. I was in Montreal. And he said, uh, as soon as I can speak to him, he, he's available. He'd like to talk to me. So then we spoke and he told me about this experience he had with, with, with Matsebe. And, and the next thing he said, I'd like you to come and come and visit me and let's, let's talk about this. And, and he lives up in, in Okavango Delta, close to Okavango Delta in a place called Mound, which is, is one of the premium, premier safari destinations in Africa, actually. Mm. And uh, so I said to him, okay, well, you know, where would I stay? And it's, you know, it's very expensive going there. You know, going to Botswana is not, oh, okay. is not, um, it's not a cheap experience. And mm. he said to me, you can stay with me as long as you like. And all you need to do is get a flight into Mount into Botswana. Oh, wow. And I was completely blown away. I mean, I had you know, goosebumps over my whole body. Of course, I said yes. Yeah. And then the next thing he said to me was a bit more serious. He said, Matsebe is an old leopard, John. She hasn't got much longer to live. So I recommend you come quickly. Mm. So I said, okay, as soon as I can get there is, is, is February, which would have been February last year, so 2019. And he said, no, that's fine. So we ar arrived then February 2019. I spoke to him and we got on really well. And, and then we went tracking mm. in, in the bush and... I didn't get to see Matsebe, but as the sun was setting, I, I, I tracked her daughter no. and they knew her cubs in the area. And when we got back, I described the, the leopard that I tracked. And he said, that's the next generation that you've tracked. Mm. That's Matsebe's daughter. And I didn't get to see Matsebe. And towards the end of the year, October, Owen sent me a message to say that Matsebe died. Mm. So he died of natural causes near a river. And, um, and it was very sad for him. Mm. However, the main focus of me going was this call to help start something with Awen about bringing people from overseas to transmit some of these ancient teachings of Africa and the wilderness to people. Mm. And when I was with Awen, we, I, we came up with an idea of, of doing retreats in the Kalahari Desert and we called it Dreams and Tracking in the Kalahari, where I bring my teachings as a, as a medicine man, as a Sangoma, how to dream and how to connect with your inner dream, how to connect with your inner tracker, how to connect with your ancestors. And then Alwyn's job was showing people the external tracking of tracking the spur, the tracks in the sand, listening to the birds and tracking animal language and mm. learning animal language and following the, the sand and the messages of the sand and the messages in the desert. So this was what we started off doing in terms of that was our plan for, for this year. Mm -hmm. And we were very lucky. We were fully booked. We had three retreats, each of seven days. Mm. And we did it over a six-week period like I say, three different groups, people coming from all over the world, but mostly from the United States and different backgrounds. We had a heart surgeon from Seattle, which was amazing. Oh, wow. And we also got a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, which was wow. also amazing. Yeah. So very interesting people, lovely people who all had a focus of the wilderness and a focus of connecting more deeply with the wilderness. Mm. Um, so, there's so much to say around that, but um, so that's that's how the journey started. So it started after me writing the book Leopard Warrior, where I was dreaming into the wilderness and then feeling that I wanted to lead people on a wilderness experience in Africa. And the Kalahari came up naturally because that's where Alwyn is from, mm -hmm. and he was brought up by his own mom and also a Bushman lady who was his nanny. And so it was quite similar to me in the sense that I've been brought up with my mother who's Irish, 
But then from the age of 26, I was adopted by my closer teacher, Mum Gwebu. Mm. So she stood by me for the last over 20 years. And in the same way, Owen has been adopted or was adopted by his his, his Bushman nanny um, who, who transmitted all these ancient teachings to him beyond words. Mm. So people have this experience of Africa through two African men who have being looked after by African women. Mm. So there's something very, very beautiful and very mystical around that. And that's the way we bring the teachings to the people with this sensitivity and also with an urgency because of poaching and because of the seriousness of what's happening in the world. Right. And during the time of going into the Kalahari, there was an there was a there was a there was a talk about the coronavirus before we went into the desert. And then while we were in the desert, in the Kalahari, I remember speaking to Alwyn about the state of the world and what we can expect because the human population is getting so high and nature's under threat. Mm. And he just said to me as we were driving the truck, he just said, well, we're all part of nature. And when he's observed certain antelope and, and species in the natural world, he said, um, amazing things happen where they can catch a virus, for example, and then the numbers plummet. And he said, we're all part of nature. And if nature wants to bring human beings more into balance, then it wouldn't be uncommon for a virus to come into the human population. Mm. I mean, this was the conversation we had in the desert. And before and, everything broke wild. Yeah. 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 So then he went off to get to get some supplies about three weeks later, and then he came back and he said this coronavirus has gone out of control. So it was quite strange, but it makes sense that we had, we'd kind of preempted it in our conversations. Mm. Um, but the conversation was all about nature and how human beings are part of nature, and that if you look at a species in the wilderness that gets out of control. Mm-hmm. Then it just comes back into balance through through natural, you could say natural selection, or through 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 disease or viruses or some other way. Right. So this is what happens in the natural world. Yeah, and and it's interesting. But when you and I were speaking before we started recording, you were expressing how you know, there's such a a sharp contrast between what's happening. You know, we're all going through this globally, but we're all experiencing Mm. it so differently. And in America, we're sort of out of our depth as far as um, that balance with nature and that appreciation of the cycle of life and the, the cycle of an individual's life and the cycle of humanity and just nature. And as you're talking about, population and in being in balance with nature mm. um, and in in South Africa and especially with your work that you've dealt um, you know so you've, you've been so immersed in um, in poverty in an impoverished environment and and the the fatality rates really that that surround that type of environment and um, you, you've had the blessing, really, I mean, a bittersweet blessing, but of being so immersed mm. in nature, in that life cycle, and seeing that this is part of, of you know, just as you're saying, it's part of balance, it's part of nature, and it's kind of a... Um, it's, it's just, a, it's a different perspective, but it's so much more grounded in... In, in reality to a certain extent than what we're dealing with in America where it's this onslaught where we're used to being so protected and we deal with death a lot differently and it's really um, a almost like a denial that it's part of life. You know, do everything you can. The absolute worst possible outcome would be death and rather mm-hmm. than it being a transitionary, a transitory um, thing to something to another phase of a soul's journey, if that makes sense. But um, um, I just found it very yeah. interesting how we're we're so contrasted in culture in that way. 
Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if people, they say that if, if people are afraid of death and they're afraid of life. Mm. So when my first journey on working with death was as a, as a me- medical, as a medic. Right, in the, in the Army. Army. Yeah. Yeah, helping Special Forces soldiers. And I was so amazed by them because they had this stoic, silent courage and some of them had terrible injuries and they really taught me about dealing with illness mm. and dealing with death. That was the first, my first teachers and I was 18 mm. as an army medic. And I they remember. would just come from the front lines of Angola and mm. that we had an Angolan, the Golan War lasted for 10 years. And these were the, some, some of the, the world's um, most courageous and hardened special forces soldiers that I was working with. And they were very humble, almost like priests. And all they thought about was helping their fellow soldier. And some of them had terrible injuries, but they just focused on healing one moment to the next. And And you talk about that in your book, how there's a conscious, they're consciously involved in their healing. I remember you talking about like a salve or a cream where, um, you know, it was being used by everybody but the um, the indigenous culture or the you know the soldiers um, that you're speaking about were were consciously involved, not just with the salve, but you that was one of your first experiences, if I remember correctly, where you were like, if it's good enough for them, for these warriors, yeah. it's good enough for me and and you were experiencing that conscientious involvement in in healing with that. That was really beautiful. Yeah, my question during that time when I was 18, I had a big question in terms of why was it that these African, black African special forces soldiers, why was it that their bodies healed three times faster than the average white soldier? Mm. Because one strange thing is the South African army, there wasn't wasn't much apartheid in the army, to be quite honest. A bit like the United States military, there's a lot lot more equality in the military. So even though there was apartheid and each of the rooms would be segregated in terms of black guys or white guys, um, the ward was not segregated. Everyone mm-hmm. got the same treatment. So you'd only have one room, okay, just black guys and one room, white guys. This was during apartheid, right? Mm-hmm. But other than that, there was no there was no big difference in terms of treatment. Everyone got the same treatment. It was, it was quite equal. Mm-hmm. So I was asking myself the question, you know, why was it that these, these special forces, black special forces soldiers, their bodies healed three times, if not four or five times faster than the average That's white amazing. guy. Yeah. And I've made it my business to research this and speak and open my heart and learn and learn and learn. And then I finally realized what it was was that my my special forces soldiers, my African friends, they were connected to their ancestors through their dreams. Mm. And they were not afraid of death in the same way as the white soldiers mm. because they dreamt about their ancestors and their loved ones who had passed over. Mm. So for them, it wasn't an unknown place. Yeah. So this is basically, I mean, people can read my book, Leopard Warrior, and and see what I went through. But that was one of my main research questions was to do with healing of the body and death. Yeah. So now with this, this global pandemic, um, I've been working in our local township um, for over 20 years now. So whenever I come back from America, doing a tour, every year I do a tour of, of a few months and then I go back home to South Africa and I spend three months in my local township, which is like a um, ghetto or shanty town. Mm-hmm. And death, death is, is ever present. There's always new people in the community who've died. Mm-hmm. And when you see a, a tent outside someone's home, it doesn't mean there's a carnival. I mean, it means there's a funeral. And mm-hmm. often the funerals are at home. And often we, we bury the people together and we go to the graveside and we sing and we pray and we, put the soil and put them in the ground and put the soil on top. And, you know, death is something which is not hidden. Mm-hmm. Death is something which is real. Um, and it's tragic and it tears us all apart. However, 
it's also part of life. Mm. I remember the story of, of, of doing my first retreat in South Africa at a game reserve and being introduced to a young woman and she had just lost her, her, um, her husband and she was young and she was in her 20s. And her husband had literally died three months before. I think he was a, he was a tracker and he just got some mysterious illness and he just died. Mm. And, and I remember just talking to her and just saying, you know, how are you doing? Like, you know, and she had like, I think, a few young children. And she's in the Shangan, Shangan tribe near Mozambique. And she just looked at me and with beautiful English, she just said, death is just a part of life, John. Mm. I was completely blown away by her courage and yeah. her bravery. It was just a private conversation I had with her. Her husband had died in tragic circumstances. He was in his 20s. I think he maybe was 28 or 29. Mm. And she was a young woman with two children. And she just said to me, obviously there was pain, incredible amount of pain in her. However, this stoic strength and courage mm. was what really stayed with me. And it's what's also really, uh, was what's always stayed with me when I'm working with my African indigenous friends and colleagues was this ever present awareness of the preciousness of life and how death is a part of life. That's it's not so something to fight. It's part of life, very painful, but it's part of life. Mm. And during my traditional apprenticeship as a Sangoma, we we have animal sacrifices in terms of goats are offered to the community. However, we have to be there when the animal loses its life and we have to be there right until it's a carcass and we have to sleep next to it and we have to watch the burning of the bones and that whole process we have to sit and be with. That was the, That's the training. It's part of the training. And it's, it's a beautiful process and it's painful because obviously we love the animals, we love the goats. However, for the listeners who maybe find this uncomfortable, please bear in mind that these goats help feed a whole community. So if you eat meat and you go to the shop and you buy food and you buy the meat, that meat comes from the abattoir where the animals are not killed in a graceful way. Right. In this case, animals are killed with lots of praise and it's a whole different experience, and then the community is fed. So we have to sit with that process and watch the death and rebirth, and then listening to the dreams that come from the from the goat that has died. Well, and there's a, a mystical side to this as well, where um, if I'm remembering correctly, when you did your final initiation, there was a bull, or a bull, right? A bull, yeah, an, an ox, yeah, an ox. And it's as though that you you get the the right one calls to you. It's not just like, oh, we go get the bull now. You know, it's like the bull has to, uh, and is it through dreams? Am I correct with this? But yes. It's, it's like a two-way thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Sorry. So basically the, the animal world is communicating with us. And this is going back to our experience with the Kalahari. The animals are not these dumb, stupid creatures. Animals are watching us with the intelligence of the world. Animals are watching us all the time. And when we are going through initiations as Sangomas, we are listening to our dreams for the animals to call us. So the goats call us because they want to impart a gift to us and then they go into the other world to spread a message for us. Same thing with the ox and same thing with the other animals. So for example, when we in the Kalahari and we will pray and we will make, um, we'll make our, our presence known and, and we'll walk quietly. And then our job is to track and see what animals come to us mm. and go quietly and gently because those animals that come to us are also giving us a message and sometimes they give us messages in our dreams because the the natural world is not this blank slate this natural world is this thriving energetic pulse of life that's also observing us 
we're observing it, but they're also observing us. And when we went in the Kalahari Desert in Botswana, is one of the wildest places left in the world and, and in Africa. There's a lot of places in Africa now where and man has, has, has placed a large footprint. And these stories of, of ancient Africa and teeming wildlife, I'm sad to say, is, is changing really quickly. However, in the Kalahari, we were very lucky to go to one of the wildest places on earth where some animals had still not encountered man before. So when we were walking and there were certain bird sounds that our tracker friend Owen was saying is the birds talking to the other animals and saying that these are human be- these are two-legged creatures that we don't know about and it's like an alarm call going through the wilderness. Wow. What a blessing. Oh my goodness. Well, so you talked when you when you were starting to talk about this um, retreat. You talked about the leopard um, who wanted to download information, but you weren't able to get to it before it passed away onto the next iteration of its being. Um, but there is no time and space, right? So, were you still able to be? Was that able to be transmitted to you in some way? Yes. Well, I met her daughter. Oh, so and the so lineage was, was alive. The, okay. Yeah, I met her daughter. So the daughters who I, I tracked, and there was a daughter that I noticed. And then were and you able the to gener- get the information that way? Well, she's the living generation. Okay. So these things don't happen in a textbook fashion. Right. This happens in a mystical way. So the, myster- the mystery of this is is unfathomable mm-hmm. and um, it's hard to explain in words but all I can say is when we arrived at our campsite in the Kalahari it was just me and Owen and his team of, of people to set up the campsite and I turned to him and I said have you any had any dreams about Manseba recently and he says no I haven't so then I gave him some African herbs and I just said okay well burn this and let's see what she has to say. So then we went to sleep. And then the next day, we were having breakfast. And he said, he just looked at me and he said, I dreamt about Matseva last night. I hadn't dreamt about her in a long time. I said, okay, wonderful. So what did she say? And he said, well, she was watching me from a distance. And then she was walking with me and there was two younger leopards. And it was in an area quite close to here. And I recognized her the way she used to move. So he said to me, let's follow the dream and let's go, let's go hunting for leopards. Hmm. So we climbed into the Jeep and we went off to that area that he dreamt about. And we're driving and driving, and suddenly he slowed the car down to that area that he saw in the dream. He looked down on the ground, and then he stopped the the jeep. And he just turned to me, and he said, there's leopard tracks on the right. So we got out of the, the jeep. We walked onto the land, and we followed the tracks. And he turned to me, and he said, there was two young leopards that walked here quite recently. And he said, in my dream, Matsebe was guiding two young leopards. Mm. And he looked at me and he said, we don't need to see the leopards, John, because we've seen the tracks and we've connected with their spirit because I've had the dream. And then we were just quiet. And I said to him, this is very auspicious because this has happened before the start of our retreat. So Matsebe has blessed us. Mm. She's made her presence known, and she's made her presence known through the living leopards. Do you see? The tracks in the sand mirrored the tracks in the dreams, which was a sign that Matsebe from the spirit world had come through and anointed us through a spirit of transmission. That's why Owen was quiet and he said, 
We don't need to see the leopards now because I see their footprints clearly in the sand. They've been here and I dreamt about them last night, which means we are being blessed by them. Wow, that's that's blessed us. Mm. So beautiful. Because there's a huge problem now in, in Africa with poaching, but there's also another problem which is called consumerism. And what is consumerism in terms of the safari industry? That consumerism is photographic safaris where people have to bring the biggest camera they can bring and they're taking photographs after photographs of the animals. They're disturbing the animals and they are addicted to what they see with their eyes. So they have to see the animal in order to know that they've experienced that animal. Mm. But our eyes deceive us all the time. The African wilderness can teach us so much more than just what we can see with our eyes. So when we learn to dream and we see the tracks in the sand, we don't need to see the animal because we've experienced their spirit. Mm. To experience the spirit of the animal is to experience the divine which is to not be given into, to not go into the gratification with our eyes and to become greedy with our eyes, which means we have to see this animal and that animal. And we have a bucket list of animals we want to see. And then what happens is pressure gets put on to the safari guides to see a long list of animals on people's bucket list. And that pressure drives a terrible form of consumerism because then the jeeps drive really quickly because people want to see certain animals before the sun goes down. And then people bring these huge cameras that have got shutter speeds that are incredible, but are noisy Mm. and disturb the animals. And I remember this one experience in Botswana last year when I first met Alan, I was watching a a herd of, of elephants and it was the most peaceful, beautiful thing. And then suddenly there was this Jeep that went going past to the rate of knots, for all these tourists. And it made such a noise. And I saw this bull elephant look at this Jeep with such disdain and with such anger, it lifted its trunk and its body language shook because it scared it and it disturbed it and it it turned its body away from the road and started walking into the bush and I felt ashamed. Mm. I felt ashamed in that moment to be a human being. And I know in that Jeep, there were tourists from other countries. I know that they are not bad people, that they are good people, but I know that the man driving the Jeep at a rate of knots was under pressure from the tourists to see the animals they wanted to see. Yeah. That's called consumerism. And it was putting, it's putting a terrible drain on the animals because you know, animals don't want to always be seen and have a camera flashed under their face. Right. It's an invasion of privacy. If an animal wants to give birth, if an animal wants to mate, if an animal is sick, they need privacy just like a human being needs privacy. And photographic safaris can be beautiful. I'm not saying they're wrong. They can be beautiful, but we have to always balance what we're seeing with our physical eyes with, with what we are seeing with our inner eye. Right. And we can't um, give in to this 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 weird form of consumerism where people have to satisfy the gratification of of their eyes where they have to see all the animals and then they're under pressure to see the animals and then the animals are are pressurized in mysterious and strange ways but where they their privacy is is, is starts to be affected you know where mm. or, or or for example strange things happen where the people have to drive really quickly through the game reserve or right, they have yeah. to take all these these huge big cameras and taking pictures of the animals and disturbing them yeah um you know then animal is much more than this furry creature that we can take a picture of mm. 
you know, this taking has to stop. Yeah. It's better to sit with the animals and appreciate them in silence. That's going to engender a better relationship between humans and animals. And what we need now is interspecies dialogue and interspecies harmony. I, I love that so much. And it, it brings to mind something that I, I thought I, if the opportunity came up that I would mention, because after our last discussion, I was, uh, this wasn't immediately after, but some days or a couple of weeks, maybe later, as I was falling asleep, I saw this beautiful, um, like, design, I suppose, behind closed eyes, sort of like a mandala um, or a version of it. And suddenly the center of it started to pull forward. And I noticed that it was becoming the shape of a baboon. And then it continued to come forward more and was like stretching forward and it became a leopard. But it still had this design, this like mandala design sort of thing. Um, on it so it didn't have the colors but it had the shapes and so I found this really interesting I wasn't asleep yet so it wasn't a dream per se Um, but you know I'm living in the suburbs in America I don't have a lot of um, exposure to wildlife Um, I have been to South Africa and I've been to um, like in the last I think it was about three years ago, we went to Kruger and um, Cape Town and um, a few different places along the coast as well. Um, so I, I have experienced it, but it's not like my everyday reference point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was really, really beautiful. And, um, and it just, as you're saying, like, we need to experience this more like on a um, you know, less on the sight level and being relying on our physical eyes, but really trying to have that connection. And um, I, I just found it curious that that happened. And if there are ways that people can sort of utilize these, you know, we, we share the planet with these amazing creatures and they're, we're all here for our, you know, everything is here for us. The elements are here for us. All of it is here for us to awaken to a fuller life and to a fuller experience, um, a fuller incarnation. And I don't know if there are ways that people who are kind of removed from um, these amazing connections to nature such as that can still connect in that way Mm. or you know through dreams or through meditations or I know you have some beautiful meditations um, that are focused on kind of bringing in nature as part of that too I don't know yeah um, well, I think I think you know we all every human being is part of nature, whether mm. we living in New York City or we're living on a farm, you know, or even living in a prison or, right. or in a hospital. You know, everyone is part of nature because wherever you are, elements of nature are going to be there. There could be insects, there could be rats, there could be small creatures. Mm. We're all part of nature. So I think the more human beings can develop an awareness that it's not just about us. And the world isn't dead outside mm-hmm. ourselves, then it can engender more of a sense of um, selflessness and more of a sense of of openness and altruism, not just towards the human world, but towards the non-human worlds, because the life of a fly is just as precious as the life of a human being. Mm. And I know a lot of people maybe struggle with that, but if you say human beings' life is more important than a fly, what are you saying? Mm. So all aspects of the divine are portrayed through the animal world, through the world of the living creatures, sentient beings, as we say in Buddhism. 
-hmm. Sentient beings are numberless. We vow to save them all. So that's the Bodhisattva vow in Buddhism. So if we're saying that, then we need to observe the world of the sentient beings, the world of the creatures, Mm -hmm. the world of the flies, the world of the bees, the world of the other creatures beyond ourselves. And if we say human beings are the most important, then we are not really going to listen to the silent ones, the ones without voices. Mm -hmm. The silent ones without voices are watching us all the time. Even if you're in prison and there's a spider in the room, it's watching you. Mm. And if you think it isn't, then you are not listening to nature. Yeah. Because nature is watching us all the time. And the eyes of nature may not be the eyes of a human being. It may be the eyes of the wild ones. The eyes of the wild ones might come forth through the eyes of a rat. And you could be in New York City and go down into the underground. You're going to take a train somewhere, subway. I saw the biggest rats I've seen, the biggest bit of wildlife in America in the form of these huge rats in the subways that were had that New York spirit of not really being afraid of anything, even a human being. Mm. You know, they come running towards you and you flip and run the other direction. I mean, a New York rat is something <laughs> to be respectful of, let yes. me tell you. So if people want to learn how to develop their natural wisdom and their tracking skills and being part of nature, the thing I always recommend is for people to go to a park or just listen to the birds. Mm. The birds will teach you how to connect with the natural world because the first thing you do is you show your love for the bird people and then they will communicate that into the natural world. Mm. the bird people, the birds will show you what you need to learn. If your heart is ready, your heart is open. Oh, that's beautiful. My mother taught this to me when my eyes opened for the first time as a baby. And she's still teaching that to me today. And she's now 83. And when she stands outside, she'll call the owls. And the owls will come. Really? If she stands outside, she will call the other wild birds and they will come. Wow. And she's just a simple woman from Dublin, Ireland. Mm. But she knows the voice and connection with the bird people. And it's all it is, is a love of the wild ones, a love of the birds. Mm. She doesn't have some strange mystical training. Mm -hmm. She's just a a simple Irish woman who loves nature and who loves the birds. Yeah. That's it. It's simple. It's not complicated. Oh, that's so beautiful and inspiring, too, because that is accessible, you know. Right, yeah. Um, We were, my kids and I were doing a little bike ride a few days ago, and my son came upon a bird, and I don't even know what kind it was. It was really beautiful, though, and and I thought it might have been injured, and it may have been, but it it did start running, so I was like, well, Mm -hmm. maybe its wings don't work, but it was just calling out, calling out, calling out. And we got off the bikes and we stood a ways away and, uh, you know, it quieted it down. And it was interesting to see it respond. Like if they took a step forward, you know, it would start calling again. But it was it was very it was such a beautiful connection with how, you know, we could feel its comfort. You know, okay, if we take that step, it's not comfortable anymore. So come back, you know, and um but being able to use that, it was such a gift to be able to mm. use that as this, you know, mysterious connection with what's available to us, you know, in the in the suburbs. We don't have leopards mm. here, but <laughs> but um, yeah. I know with this, do you want to talk about at the end of your retreat? I was really intrigued with the the lions that you saw at the very end. Do you want to share that? Yeah, I mean, we were tracking lions for six weeks and then we, we finally managed to see them just you know, five days before all the retreats ended. And uh, it was amazing. It was a real mystical experience because, you know, you won't see even the lions and you won't see the leopard unless they want you to see them. Mm. So what happened was 
there were young lions and bushman trackers with us reckoned that they'd never seen man before. So they didn't know what we were. And, you know, lions are not what people think they are. They're not these man-eating kind of creatures that just see a human being and want to run up to you and take you out. That's actually not the truth. Mm. They were actually afraid of us, the lions. So they were running away from us. Mm. So we started tracking them with their, their spura in the sand and we were following them and they were trying to keep away from us. Oh. And then it was decided that we were going to the jeeps and we went a little bit quicker, but we were still keeping a distance from them because we didn't want to frighten them. Mm. And that's how we saw them, all seven of them, which was also very lucky. So before the retreat started, there was this dream of Bad Matsebe. As the retreats ended, we encountered seven lions. As we left the retreats, the world was on fire with this virus. What is the teaching? teaching for me is that the natural world is alive and it's teaching all the time. All we have to do is listen and not think that we are number one mm. because that's just arrogance. Right. And it's not what all these spiritual teachings in the world are talking about. It's not that. Right. Wow. It's such a blessing, such a beautiful life that you're able to live and that you're giving to other people. Um, what an, an, an amazing opportunity for the people who were able to join you. Um, and for me to just even listen to it, it's, um, I mean, I can feel it changes the way that I feel to just being able to envision mm -hmm. the, uh, magic of your experience. So thank you for all the good work that you're doing. And I know you have um, the Ubuntu fund too, that I wanted to mention um, to help mm -hmm. to raise money for people in um, the township that, that you live in part of the time. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? And we can put a link in the show notes. Yes, well, I just have what I call my Ubuntu fund, which is often used to help my my traditional Sangoma friends and family. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it can be used towards medicine and sometimes it can be used for food or, or can go towards helping with ceremonies or it can go towards transport. Or It's basically a fund to help my, my community that is often struggling with material resource However, I just want to make a very strong point. They are very strong spiritually. Mm. So as we make, as people overseas give me donations, then I help them. And then they in turn will help people overseas through me and also through keeping that connection with the other world, the spirit world alive through the ceremonies and through the very intricate ceremonies they do to honor their ancestors and and the silent hidden ones in this world. So they keep these ancient ceremonies alive. Mm. And for me, it's important for the whole world that not just for Africa. Mm. So yeah, they might be poor people materially, but don't think of them as poor people oh, because they are very rich, very rich spiritually. Mm. And I just want to really make that, that point. You know, it's quite interesting for me dealing with a lot of middle-class people in America or Europe. And some of them have a lot of poverty issues in terms of spiritually. Mm. They're not connected to their ancestors and they have incredible fear of death. Mm -hmm. But yet they have nice cars and nice homes, but they're riddled with anxiety and depression. Yeah. So then you've got people, say, in South Africa who don't have all these material luxuries, but they will not be riddled with anxiety and depression. And, and they will, will know their ancestors through their dreams. Yeah. So who's better, who's worse? None of exactly. us are. We yeah. are all here to help one another with mm -hmm. the particular skills and gifts we have. Right. That's it. Right. That's so, yeah. it's so beautiful. And it is, mm. I think you see that the world over, you know, that yeah. that contradiction between, um, it's, it's like almost a give and take 
in a lot of yes. situations and a lot of um, examples. Um, how can people connect with you? Or I know you have your webinars. You have monthly webinars. Um, mm. But I know you're so inspiring and you're doing um, online um, consultations as well. Yes, yes. So what would be a good way for people to be able to learn more apart from your book? Well, they can sign up for my, my monthly webinars, which have been going very, very well. And I'm, I'm really enjoying them. You know, I really love that because it's a platform where you can get a whole lot of people on, on one call. And then there's opportunity for people to ask questions and to engage and the community to engage. So I normally like to give a bit of a talk, you would say Dharma talk for about 20 minutes or so. Mm -hmm. And then I'll ask if anyone has any questions and then I might talk a little bit more about the particular topic we have, which last month was, was um, the gift of calling and befriending illness. Mm -hmm. So every, every month is a different topic. So that's a good way for people to engage with, with the monthly webinars. Mm -hmm. But just to let the, the listener know that, um, we, we are planning to do another dreams and tracking retreat in the Kalahari next year in, in February and March. Hopefully everything will be okay. Um, we're planning for that and we plan to go back into the desert again. Oh, so okay. if people are interested, you know, they can always look on my website and, and then they can book through that. Okay, perfect. And you have some other things available on your website too that um, can help people to... Um, deepen their connection with spirit and um so mm. well my you know my audio teachings are very helpful for mm. which i call the way of the leopard mm -hmm. and it's just a, it's like a it's like an online course and it's about six cds which you can download and it's it's through sounds true through my publisher mm -hmm. so if people are interested in connecting more with the wilderness and they want to know how to do it from an african perspective then you can just go onto my website or even go onto Amazon and download The Way of the Leopard audio teachings. Perfect. Good. Well, thank you so much. I, I just mm. love listening to you. You're just so full <laughs> of wisdom and you're overflowing and my heart is full. So thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Cara. And, um, and thank you for joining us today. And we look forward to the next meditation conversation. Mm -hmm.